Are you new to teaching elementary music or do you feel like you're just spinning your wheels every day in your classroom? Maybe you're overwhelmed and honestly just don't know where to go for advice and mentorship. Hi, I'm Jessica, and when I'm not drinking all the coffee, watching Razorback sports, or hanging out with my family of boys, it's my passion to help elementary music teachers just like you teach your students by using your unique personality and teaching style. In this podcast, you'll find helpful tips, strategies, and ideas that will help you kick that stress to the curb and begin teaching music with confidence. Let's get started. music teacher friend. I hope you're doing well. I want to tell you about something super exciting coming up this summer. On June 22nd, I will be hosting the free five-day challenge called Start the School Year Off Right Challenge. In this challenge, you're going to learn all about how to start the school year off with success, whether that is going to be virtually or in person, or you're just not even sure what next school year is going to look like yet. On day two, we're going to talk about work-home-life balance, which is something we all need help and support in right now, especially during the time we're living in, I feel. Day three is going to be all about how to plan for next school year during the summer and we'll talk about what your school year will look like and how you can plan to successfully teach next school year even if it looks a little different than you think it might normally look. Day four is going to be all about reflecting on this school year and oh my goodness do we have a lot of reflecting to do right? You had the beginning of the school year started off strong, you were in your classroom, and then you finished off probably the school year teaching virtually. So we're going to reflect on all that together and talk about ways you can move forward with taking what you learned into the next school year. And day five is going to be all about why professional development matters, why it's a good thing, how to find good professional development opportunities this summer, and how to find what you need for your particular teaching situation. So I would love for you to join us. The challenge starts on June 22nd and simply head to subscribepage.com forward slash music teacher challenge 2020 or simply click on the link in the show notes to join us. I cannot wait to see you there. And immediately after joining the challenge, you can join our Facebook group where I will be going live every day in the challenge. And there's so many amazing music teachers in there already a part of the group who are ready to support you and get to know you. So come on in and join us. I can't wait to help you get the forward momentum you need to go into next school year feeling successful. Have an amazing day and I'll see you soon. One of the most rewarding things about being an elementary music teacher is teaching elementary music, seeing these kids flourish and make music in your classroom and being able to be a role model and a teacher and pour into their lives. But one of the hardest things about being an elementary music teacher is when your students leave your classroom and they go on to middle school, high school, college, or wherever they end up in life. And a lot of times you lose contact with the kids and it's hard to keep track of everyone, especially if you have 500 to 700 students that you teach. So when I got the opportunity to reconnect with one of my former students, I jumped on that because I 
and just wanted to have a conversation with a former student who is now a full-time musician. He's a full-time worship pastor, and he has done a lot with music from being a traveling musician, playing a drum and a band and all kinds of stuff. And his journey has taken a lot of twists and turns. But what's really cool is being able to hear that the seeds I helped plant in his life years ago have now flourished in the fruit um, has come out from that. And it's been so rewarding to hear about his experience and several of my former students who I've connected with and kept track of over the years that when you're planting seeds in their lives, you don't know what fruit is going to take shape one day. But you keep planting the seeds, you keep pouring into your students because I promise you that the relationships you're forming will end up paying off one day. So I'm so excited to have Ralph on my podcast. And like I said, he is a worship pastor, a full-time musician, and he has completely done music with his life as a career. I'm so excited to have this conversation with him. And my um, heart and passion is to share this experience with you so you know that even if you don't end up connecting with former students 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, whatever years down the road, that just trust the process that you are planting seeds. They are going to take shape into fruit one day and you are doing a great job. So let's have, I want you to hear this conversation with Ralph because I just love connecting with him and you're going to really benefit from a lot of the questions I've asked him about his journey in becoming a musician and even his opinion and how teachers can really truly connect with your students beyond just teaching the content. So let's go ahead and get started with today's episode. Okay, everybody, welcome back to the Elementary Music Teacher Podcast. I'm so excited to have you back today. Today, you're in for a treat because I have one of my former students joining me today, and I cannot wait for Ralph to just kind of share about his experience with being in my classroom with whatever he remembers because it was so long ago and then going on to pursue um, music and having a full-time career in music now. And so I'm so excited to have you on the podcast, Ralph. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. So first of all, let's just talk about that because I was sharing with you before we recorded that for me, I went to four different elementary schools and gosh, it was ages ago, but I like I sometimes think back to do I remember anything you know you like kind of remember snippets but when you're so young it's hard to remember everything so what are like some I don't know what do you remember about Barnard Um, and were you there from kindergarten through fifth grade or did you switch around elementary schools too? So I uh, went to two different elementary schools I started at Wright Elementary and then in second grade about four weeks into the school year moved over to Barnard. Um, and there are very like random sporadic things. I remember, um, I remember a lot of the people that were friends back then. I don't really have connection to them now, but Mm -hmm. I remember stepping into that space and really hitting it off with a couple people. We had common interests in things like sports and, uh, you know, ankle socks were the thing at the time and just like (laughs) random stuff like that. Uh, I remember the concrete jungle. It was the whole playground was 100% concrete and I fell and busted my face many times. Um, I remember uh, some of the, I remember most of my teachers, um, but there were just a couple of like, those were some of the most formative years of my life. So I have like fond memories of small little interactions that I think meant a lot today, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, totally makes sense. No, the concrete jungle. I'm laughing because <laughs> I always got fourth grade right after recess and woo, the smells come in in my room. It was right. unbelievable. But also, <laughs> yes, it was always getting everybody to simmer down after recess was a thing because it was always whatever came in from recess, it was carried inside because it wasn't over with. Right. <laughs> it was just yep. like held on to. Oh my goodness. Okay, so I started, you and I were talking the other day and I was trying to think back. I believe I started when you were fourth grader, but I don't, and yeah. it was the middle of the school year. Right. So I'm curious, and like you said, you may not remember, but um, talking to the classroom teachers when I started, they had, air quotes, done music in their classrooms as much as they could, because there's not a lot of time in the day to fit that in. Do you remember anything um, doing music in your classroom or what y'all did with music before I got there at all? Yeah, so I was thinking about that. I think you know, besides the normal songs that like teach you the 50 states and random stuff like that. Um, there was a stretch where there was like a strings class. Um, and it was probably like six students in it and it was mass chaos a hundred percent of the time. Uh, but besides that, there wasn't much, uh, emphasis on things of the arts. I remember the like actual art class was something that fell off. Um, and again, was mass chaos, kids throwing paint and breaking things 100% of the time. But uh, as far as I can remember, there wasn't much happening as far as like any extracurricular things. Uh, they were super focused on the, the normal, you know, core four classes. Um, but very rarely outside of things like recess and PE, stuff like that to keep us like somewhat functional. Uh, there wasn't any arts education that I can remember. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I know, like like I said, it was so long ago, but when I started, that is, I actually shared this in a previous podcast episode that I remember the art room next door. And mm -hmm. there had been an art teacher, and I don't remember her name, but there was a long-term substitute when I started who, right. I don't know how long she had been there, but I remember hearing the noise that I went to look in the window was like, oh my gosh, I literally saw the things being thrown and I went, "Yeah, <laughs> what did I do? Oh my gosh. And then um, luckily at that time, I didn't have any instruments. So I wasn't worried about anything being broken, but I was like, what did I get myself into? This is going to be interesting. Mm. But yeah. what do you remember from music class? Do you remember? So, doing yeah, I'm curious about that. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. So there's three things that I remember, uh, first and foremost, you gave me my very first piano lesson. Um, and you talked about uh, how you get a water bottle and you hold as you as like you play. That's kind of how you hold your hands. Um, and to this day, you know, I still have awful technique when I play the piano, but I play the piano now. And I always remember when my hands hurt, I probably should act like I'm holding a water bottle. I love that. Um, so that was one thing. Uh, I remember the talent show kind of thing that you did uh, once where you had us bring in um, our favorite music and we got to get up on stage and, you know, perform those songs. Uh, I remember there was a young lady in our class uh, named Jamia McClellan who could sing her butt off. Um, and she brought in a gospel song and did a great job. Um, goosebumps. It was a goosebumps moment. For sure. Yeah, it was yes. really crazy. Um, and what's crazy about that is we ended up going to the same church uh, later on. Uh, my mom and her mom were really good friends. 
Um, and then the last thing I remember was our graduation, our fifth grade graduation. We did, um, what was the song? Toy Story, You Got a Friend in Me. Yeah. Um, and what was super interesting about that, I think I was up there on stage, but I, I remember that last year, uh, you had really like empowered me to explore and, and get to like experience other parts of the music. So like uh, I was interested in the sound system and running the soundboard and pushing play on, you know, probably cassettes at the time. Uh, but right. you really gave us like the, you gave us the margin to be able to do that. And I remember the, uh, the okayness with being fascinated with any and everything. And I think that's something that I carried a really long time and still do to this day of like, I'm extremely curious about just about anything and a lot of that started in my time in elementary school at a young age uh, my father is a professional musician so i grew up around it uh, but to take you know to be able to experience it from a perspective outside of the home is something that uh is super powerful so i uh, thank you for that first and foremost but those are some of the things i definitely remember um that really kind of were like super formative and marked me uh, moving forward. So I love that. Yeah. So one thing in elementary music class I wanted to do was to, since I knew for the older students, you guys that were about to move on, I didn't have a lot of time with you. So one thing I did want to encourage you is I knew a lot of you didn't know about all the different music careers you could follow. Um, right. You know, a lot of times elementary music is just viewed as, which it is that, and it's important, but just singing out, it's like compartmentalized. Like we sing songs, we play instruments, we do movement and, you know, and then, but you don't talk to the kiddos about what you could do with that. And not everybody needs to become a professional musician, but I think I was encouraging you like, listen, there's all these different things you could do with music. And everybody's like, oh, we could, you know, right. so I really was. Yeah, especially with older kids. I was really I remember I really wanted to let you guys know that there's a lot you can do with music. It doesn't have to just be singing. Like you said, it could be the behind the scenes, which is what my husband does. He's a sound guy. And so he yeah. came to a lot of the programs that did the behind the scenes stuff. <laughs> but um, yeah, so OK, so I was telling you, too before we started recording was I know elementary music teachers listening to this are always kind of curious. They uh, like, what happens when you leave my classroom? What, where do you go in middle school and high school and on, you know, and every kid's different, obviously every person's different, but what did you do in middle school? Did you go on to do choir band orchestra? I'm curious. Yeah. So, uh, it was a really interesting stretch for me. So fourth grade, I started playing football. And so that was like my top priority, my number one thing. Of course. Uh, but I always had this, you know, for every child it is. Yeah, uh, I exactly. always had this massive interest in the arts. Um, and so once I got to middle school, um, I went into band. I did band. Um, What'd you play? I played, uh, what did I play? I played trombone. Okay, cool. Weird enough. Um, <laughs> I played trombone uh, and I grew up playing drums. And so originally once I got into band, I wanted to be in the percussion side of it. And my band director was like, no, you came to my class a week late. This is what you're playing. Like, fine. Okay, whatever. So um, I played trombone from middle school all the way till I graduated high school um, and actually enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, middle mm -hmm. school, again, the focus 
was mostly sports um and band was kind of just like the the backseat thing um once i stepped into high school that kind of was starting to shift uh, i still played high school football uh, all four years uh, but i also did concert band jazz band and drumline um and all three of those the last i guess three years of high school is where i really began to be fascinated by music um, and considered quitting football uh, but, you know, peer pressure and all those things that go with that uh, didn't happen. And so I studied jazz drumming in high school. Um, and that was probably my favorite of them all. Um, did some drumline stuff. Obviously, like I said, played uh, in the concert band, playing trombone. And then my senior year, I uh, went to uh, Tulsa Tech for a broadcast and sound engineering class. Uh, and oh, cool. that was a really great experience. That's where I got to really experience like uh, what it means to to work in a studio context, uh, what it means to be a music producer type, uh, sound engineer, all of those types of things. Um, and it was that year that I really was like, okay, this is something that I could see myself doing long term. Mm -hmm. And so um after that year uh i really started playing heavy in church uh on a consistent basis playing drums playing bass um and through uh my first couple years after high school um that was something that i found a knack for that i found that i was pretty pretty good at and so um, I spent a couple of years with my head down playing in a student band and just like learning my craft um, and taking time to, to be really good and learn all the ins and outs of the technicalities of how to play XYZ songs, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then as I kind of continued on into my adulthood, you know, opportunities opened up uh, based off of uh, you know, a lack of an individual being in a position and we needed to fill it. And so I stepped in um, into kind of a leadership role. And that's kind of how I got into the ministry side of things. Um, and from that point, it's been, you know, kind of smooth sailing uphill. I think it's it's a the music industry as a whole, but specifically in, um, you know, the context that I played in sure your gifting is one thing that uh will take you places but a quote that i kind of live by is this whole uh your gift will get you into the room but your character is what keeps you there right and mm, so I, I spent some time um learning and, and perfecting my craft but mm -hmm. i had to really uh step into and learn uh, what it means to carry myself in a way that people like me right people mm -hmm. can trust me people can um see the things that i'm passionate about outside of the music i can relate to that a lot actually with what i've yeah. done i i told you i've transitioned out of teaching in the classroom to now um mentoring music teachers all the time and that is something you and i had a little bit of a conversation about that without getting into detail, but I'm always going to be true to myself and my character. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important with any career you pursue or anything in life is staying true to who you are, being a person of character, because you'll attract the right people. And you're going to attract right. people who can relate to you and want to be under your leadership because you are being true to you, you know? Right. 
I think that's great. Now, I, I was thinking too, when you were talking, um, I remember you in elementary school, you, you maybe don't even know this about yourself, but you were a natural leader. I remember that just when we had those chaotic moments in the music room, <laughs> you were one of those kids that was just kind of like, be quiet. She's talking, quit, sit down. Right. So, <laughs> I love that. And so it's so cool for me to see that years later, now you're in a leadership role and you guys, I don't know if he said it, but Ralph is a worship leader. And so you are a leader. And I think you're just naturally, you know, a naturally born leader and just seeing that it, you know, took you all the way through to being in a leadership role, but getting to use your giftings in music too is really, really cool. So I love that. Um, so on the leadership side of things, when, when you're thinking of, when you were speaking about being a leader, what's tough about that in your opinion, about just being a leader in general for teachers listening to this, who are leaders to their students? Sure. I think that um, for me, especially in the role that I'm in, um, I would be considered young for the capacity of the role. Um, I'm a, the worship pastor at a very large church here in Arkansas. Um, and mo most times in most contexts, this is a person who's, you know, been in ministry for 15, 20 years. I've been in for seven total counting like what I did in high school. And mm. so um, I think that one of the biggest struggles that I have is leading confidently um, and leading from a place of, you know, I know that I'm in this position for a reason. I know that um, this opportunity was given to me uh, for a reason. Yeah. I should take advantage of that and lead from the not like man given authority, but God given authority that yeah. um, has put me in the position in the first place. Um, yeah. And so I think that for especially for young teachers coming into it, it can be something that's intimidating, right? It can be something that is absolutely terrifying 100% of the time. Uh, <laughs> but once you're once you've stepped into it, you're in that position for a reason. Yeah. Um, and I think that knowing who you are as a person and functioning from that identity uh, is what will carry you long term. Like I said, your gifting makes the opportunity a reality, but your character and your identity and again, knowing who you are is what keeps you in that place. And secondly, is what keeps you uh, effective and it keeps you um, influencing uh, the people that you're leading. And so um, it's, it's one of those things, it's extremely difficult a lot of the time. Um, but I think that uh, there's a grace to figure things out. Uh, and that's what I've loved about being on staff here. Um, our staff is super gracious in the moments that I don't lead well, uh, mm -hmm. and they champion the moments that I do. And that's I think good. that that's something that's super important. Yeah. Did you, so I know you said you found uh, a knack for music after high school and you just realized this is something I'm naturally good at. Did you ever think about pursuing something else or did you just kind of feel like music was it? Oh man. Yes. I went <laughs> down. Um, I, I was in the whole business world cycle, uh, for a really long time. So I, um, talking about leadership, uh, in high school, I started working at Chick-fil-A, uh, yeah. greatest company on earth. Yeah. Um, but I, I started working in Chick-fil-A, um, and over the course of my six years there, moved my way into a uh, leadership role, management role of one of the biggest stores in Oklahoma. And so I was um, super passionate about the company. 
Uh, I thought I was going to go on and own my own Chick-fil-A one day. Um, and so I was doing a lot of the things um, to, to set myself up for that. While I was working at Chick-fil-A, I got that, uh, I got an internship to work at a church, like mm. less than part-time, 10 hours a week, like 200 bucks a week, super cheap, yeah. um, which is better than some people, uh, but still. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I was working at Chick-fil-A full-time and working at a church as an intern, essentially, um, and had this whole tension going back and forth of uh, what, you know, what route do I want to take? I think the Lord had given me these opportunities and gave me the ability to choose, which I think was something that's super cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was super kind of him, but, um, I was super engrossed in the business world and leadership development. I worked for a company called paradigm shift, uh, that worked with low income, first generation college students, um, preparing them for, uh, secondary or post-secondary education, whatever that looked like, uh, was passionate about that. And what I found was at a young age, you know, pre twenties, um, that, I had all of these things that were like burning passions uh, for me that I couldn't find a way to kind of reconcile. Um, and so once I got into working in the church world, um, again, moved up from an intern position to a full-time role there, um, I got to kind of reconcile all of those things and put them all to use in the context of one job, which mm-hmm. I think... Um, it, it sometimes takes a long time to arrive to that point. Uh, yeah. But once I was able to, I was like, okay, this is it. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, and, you know, I did other things in the music world. I, I got to do some touring type things. Um, I played on people's albums before. Um, but I really found my kind of niche, if you mm-hmm. want to use that word, um, in the church world. And so mm-hmm. that's kind of how I landed there. I love that. No, I love that. It's funny how our stories can take a lot of twists and turns because <clears throat> with my story, I've been asked so many times, did you think you were going to be an online entrepreneur and own your own business? I'm like, uh, heck no. I got right. a music education degree because <laughs> I wanted to teach music and I did do that. But it's just funny how God directs your path. And like, seriously, this is not whoever where I thought I would be super grateful, super blessed. And I'm very love what I do now, but it's funny. Right. I'm like, I never in a million years thought this is what I would be doing. In fact, when I went to college, this wasn't even like on the scope of things. There was no <laughs> online business right. stuff like, hello. <laughs> uh, okay. So I want to talk about this when it comes to elementary music teachers, getting to know their students. I talk a lot on this podcast about, um, don't just teach the content you know, don't just teach singing, instruments, movement, all the other things you guys, you know, those of you listening know there's a million other things involved, but we've talked a lot about relationships and getting to know your students. And it's okay if sometimes you stop teaching to have a conversation or you stop teaching to, I don't know, ask your kids what they had for dinner last night, or, Hey, this Friday, bring in your favorite music and we'll listen to it the second half of class. Or I don't know if you remember this, the sticker charts we had, but if you earn enough stickers at the end of each nine weeks, we got to have a nine week reward and you guys would get to bring music in. And I think that stuff's important because it all goes back to relationships and a big part of classroom management, in my opinion, is not so much the rules and the procedures that's important, but getting to know your kids because they're not going to want to follow the rules and procedures if there's not the relationship aspect of it. So 
Right. With that said, do you have any advice around that? Because, um, yeah, advice about like when, when you remember being in my classroom or any of the teachers you had growing up, do you have any advice around like the teachers you clicked with versus the ones you didn't so much? Was it about the relationship aspect of it kind of for you? Yeah, I would say that uh, it was probably the most important thing. Um, a lot of the teachers that I have connections with even to this day still, um, we have those connections because of the relational dynamic that we had, right? And I think that uh, the approach to education of relational over responsible um, sometimes is is the greatest thing because you get to take away this divide. Most kids don't see teachers as humans, right? They don't, mm. if you see, if a kid sees a teacher outside of a school context, they lose their mind. They have no <laughs> clue on how to interact with this person as yes. a human, right? And I think that uh, choosing relational education over just the rule following and, you know, red card, yellow card, uh, green card type of approach, um, is super important because a lot of kids, especially today, don't have the verbiage uh, to communicate when things are wrong. And so mm -hmm. say something's going on at home and you come from a very disciplinarian type of home environment, you step into school and it's the same way. Right. The, it, it affects how you view life long term. Right. And so to see um, teachers that care about their students first and foremost, yes, we have a checklist of things that we have to get through over the course of nine weeks. Uh, we have all of the benchmarks to meet, right? But the most important thing is relationally investing. And so the way that I think uh, the best, one of the best ways to do that is meeting the kids where they are. If the kid's having a bad day, um, if the student, um, you know, is in a emotional state in any shape, form or fashion, um, use that as leverage to build more relationship, to say, hey, this is a safe space for you to feel the way that you feel. This is a safe space uh, for you to talk to me about what's going on. This is a safe space for you to just kind of have a crummy day. And that's OK. Yeah. Um, right. I think that a lot of students don't. One of the things that I struggled with with some of my teachers was their lack of empathy for the spectrum of emotions that kids deal with, right? Yeah. Um, there mm -hmm. were some things that I may have been feeling on certain days and I don't want to write in person. I don't want to sing songs. I don't want to, <laughs> uh, to go run around in the gym. And I think that, you know, there's a level of, hey, we have to do something or else you won't pass the class. But mm -hmm. there's also a level of human just like relationship that is super powerful and it builds trust for you to be able to speak into that child's life, not only on a, you know, relational level, but on the educational side as well. Uh, yeah. The teachers that I did the best in, in their classes were the ones I had the best relationships with because I was interested. I trusted them. I wanted to listen to what they said because we had established a foundation of uh, a healthy relationship, if that yeah, makes sense. For sure. Yeah. And it's funny because when I started teaching, well, the advice I got in college and then in my student teaching and then by my mentor teacher, which I won't name, but she was a teacher at our school, um, was call their bluff, be really strict up front, um, just rules, 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 rules. So I did that at first. 
it didn't, I mean, it worked in the aspect of you guys would come in and be quiet because you're like, what the heck? She's lost her mind. But it was like, I wasn't letting my guard down and getting to know you guys because I had been given all this advice of they need to listen and da, 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 da. And I get that to an extent. I really do. But it was right. like, I finally got to the point where I was like, where you and I have already talked about, I had to be me. I was like, this is not my personality. I'm not going to sit here and just be like, there were days, trust me, like all teachers sometimes have a moment, trust me. But there, for the most part, it was like, no, it got to the point where instead of just saying, you're being bad, sit down, you're not participating, you're not getting a grade today or whatever. Like you said, there's days kids go through things. Even when I was in elementary school, I had days where I didn't want to do stuff because I had an emotional, there was a lot of turmoil, you know, I'm not going to get into that story, but I did not grow up in, you know, a peaceful home. Let's just say that. And so there are sometimes kids will come to school and I feel like a lot of times those kids um, that are having, pushing back or having air quote behavior problems, a lot of times it's because something else is going on. And right. I know teachers, especially elementary music teachers, don't have a whole lot of time to figure it out and have those conversations because you get the classes in back to back to back. But it's important that you at least try, like you said, um, because there's so much going on. And so, you know, Barnard was a low income school and a lot of the kids, you can't lump everybody into the same category, but a lot right. of the kids there did come from some some rough family conversations I had where I was like, okay, I'm perspective is definitely like I see now there's some other stuff going on here that right. is more than just school. And school is a safe haven, I feel like, for a lot of kids too, where they feel like this is my safe place. I can be myself here. All the other junk going on in my life at home, I can just come and, you know, have a safe place. Um, yeah, so I I completely agree. It's true. And it's funny because you talked about relationships and when you go on and you grow up, you don't remember, you know, the math facts you learned, or like you said, the songs you sang or the science lesson experiment you did. You remember teachers based on relationships and even like you were sharing memories that you remember because they were memories that are important right. things that you held on to. Okay. So when it comes to making sure all students are included and seen, when it comes to you and you probably going through education had mostly white teachers, am I right? Uh, saying that, or was it? Well, Tulsa so, was very diverse. Tulsa was very diverse. I would say elementary and high school, yes, it was majority white. Mm-hmm. I went to Carver Middle School, which is okay. a like historically black school. Right. Um, okay. So I had a lot of teachers there, but for the most part, majority of my education was uh, white teachers. Okay. Did you ever feel like? you weren't seen or heard because of that out of curiosity? Um, I think that there were other factors in my life that helped my cause, right? Like I I would say that um, we didn't all have the same starting line, Mm. for example, uh, just as a kind of broad example, but uh, the fact that I play football, or mm. the fact that I was a part of Tulsa Tech or a part of, you know, the band, all of those things kind of helped people or it, it increased the amount of interaction time that teachers had with me. Okay. Um, and I think that in turn really helped out long term. But I can say there are um, thinking back to just kind of like the type of education, there were a lot of things that um 
weren't necessarily covered. I was blessed to kind of grow up in a home where, you know, I, my my aunt is was one of the last uh, 1921 race riot survivors. Mm. So I grew up hearing the stories of what had happened there um, on Black Wall Street. Um, the church that I grew up in at the time, uh, what, there was a guy named uh, Dad Clark, Otis Clark. He was one of uh, the oldest uh, survivors of the race riots as well. And so we got to hear his stories and spend time with him. And so I, I, I had the environment outside of school uh, that really kind of emphasized those things. But I would say that inside of school, um, besides, you know, Black History Month, uh, there right. wasn't much um, cultured education, which isn't necessarily which at the time didn't seem to be a problem, but like thinking long-term, especially for me, um, you know, there were a lot of stories that I couldn't see myself in. Um, I couldn't see myself as, you know, X, Y, Z career because we didn't see anybody that looked like me. We didn't read mm. books um, that, uh, had people that looked like me. Um, and so that was kind of a struggle. Uh, but, you know, over time and then with self-education and, and just taking advantage of resources that are available, you know, I kind of grew in that on my own. But um, to answer your question, you know, unseen, I wouldn't say that, uh, but yeah. it was hard to say or it was hard to see myself um, doing a lot of the things that were being talked about because most of the time people didn't look like me. Mm hmm. Do you feel like a lot of times for white teachers, especially it's not a lot of times, like for me, when I started, all I had were like some old textbooks and it was like, that's mm -hmm. all I had until I could find my own resources and things and flipping through the pages. I even remember the pictures in those books. Most of the kids even in there were white. And then there was maybe right. like one or two pictures of, you know, black kids in there. And I remember that bothering me. And so I made it a, point in my room to make sure all kids felt seen and included and really found music to reach everyone but I do I do know that that wasn't the case for every teacher and I sometimes don't think it is intentional I think a lot of times it's like you're here's a curriculum teach it or I'm yeah. going to read this book and you 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 know maybe the title of the book is good and you know the content in the book is going to reach kids and it's really good content but like you said I think a lot of times teachers haven't stopped to just look at the pictures and go are all the books I have in here of the same you know right. the same race or am I varying it up a little bit and I think it's important that that does happen and I don't yeah. think it's you know we're not like sitting here condemning anybody who hasn't done that yet I think a lot of times it is just unawareness um right. I mean would you agree with that yeah I would say absolutely a lot of the time it is unawareness uh it is uh for lack of a better word, ignorance, right? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. you, I can't, ex but on in defense of that, I can't expect to s somebody to know something that they don't know, right? right. Um, and so, but that does get into the need of educating yourself, uh, reaching out to people who can educate you if they feel comfortable doing so. Um, I would say, you know, I, I think back to, I think this was probably fourth or fifth grade and Miss Dean was our science teacher. Yep. Um, talk to her too. <laughs> really? That's yeah. super awesome. I yeah. remember, uh, 
she was an incredible teacher, but I remember we got new textbooks um, or they were like in a beta version, probably my fifth grade year. Um, and she took, brought a group of students in and said, hey, go through this and tell me what you think about it, what you think about the content. Uh, but she explicitly said, she's like, if you, if you don't see like diverse children in it, please let me know. Let's mm. note these things down. And th- that was something that was huge that, oh, you yeah. know, most kids aren't aware of that in that moment, but it means so much uh, and has so much impact long-term um, that it, it, it brought a lot of just like hope and like, okay, there are some teachers that get it. And for those that don't, uh, like you said, we're not condemning them, but you do have the burden of educating yourself, um, of approaching education in a way that um, shows value for all cultures and all right. people. Um, I think that a lot of teachers, um, that a lot of the teachers that I had, I'm not a teacher, let me say that outright. Right, right. But you're coming um, from but, the student side of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so a lot of the teachers that I had approached education in a I don't see color type of way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I understand the sentiment, I guess. I can say that I understand that. But the reality is, if you don't see color, you don't see me as a person. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think that, um, it's not about not seeing color to even the playing field. It's about seeing and acknowledging color and culture and uh, gender and all of those types of things. It's about um, leveraging that to even the playing field, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that um, for those in education, for those in leadership, that's the goal. That it's, it's not a matter of, you know, being colorblind because that yeah. doesn't help anybody. That doesn't, um, bring any sort of clarity or really doesn't help. Like I said, it just doesn't help anything at all. And so Mm -hmm. I don't know. No, that was good. No, it was good. I agree with that completely is, um, and I've been guilty of that, of saying, Mm -hmm. I don't see any color. You're all the same. You're all equal. And when I said that, I mean it, but then Mm -hmm. it's like thinking back, I think that's okay to think back to things you've said or done that you're like, wow, I get now how my words could be misconstrued by a child and being like, but I'm not the same as this, you know, white little boy sitting next to me, see me. And I think that's important. Um, I like that you said that because I think a lot of teachers just aren't aware that that matters. Um, Seeing yourself in the classroom. And like you said, seeing yourself with, with music, like, Oh, I could do that. Oh, that's part of my interest or something in science. Oh, that's part of my interest. Or I, I remember that she did that and made sure she included us and it was important and that's what kids are going to hold on to as you grow up. It just is. I just think mm-hmm. it's important to remember, like I go back to the relational side of things and making sure each kid see, is seen and heard and understood and you're trying to meet them where they're at. And Ralph, one, one thing I say on this podcast a lot is for teachers to teach the students they have, not the students down the street. And what right. I mean by that when I say that is... Um, and those of you listening know I've said this before, and I would go to workshops and learn all these cool new songs and activities. And it was mostly, let's be honest, white folk songs. And I remember thinking in my head, I love my students with my whole heart. There's no way I can bring this back and do this with them. Because you guys would look at me like I was a crazy person and be like, you want me to do what? (laughs) So (laughs) I remember taking some of those songs and being like, I'm going to adapt it 
either to fit what my students need, or I'm going to find a similar song with maybe similar rhythms, similar instruments that will really reach you guys. And, um, and I think that's what's important. You don't have to just regurgitate everything you learn, adapt it to meet the needs of your students. And I think that's important to hear. Um, so with that said, when are, is there any other advice or comments about going through school and being motivated by a teacher or you as a musician yourself that you would like to share with our listeners today? Yeah, I would say um, for the teacher side of things, you, you may not ever get to see the fruit but you are responsible for the seed. So you're responsible for planting the seeds and tilling the ground and caring for that seed the best you can. And as that child moves on, as they um, grow out of your class or your school or whatever that is, you may not get to see the fruit of that seed. And a lot of times, and I think that's one of the most heartbreaking things about education it's one of the most heartbreaking things about ministry um is you you just don't get to always see the fruit um but you still have such a responsibility to care for the seed well and so i think that uh for all teachers you're planting seeds with every student that you have uh, make sure that those seeds will produce fruit one day uh, that people can benefit off of i can say that for all of my teachers that um I have a relationship with today or that were the most impactful. A lot of them started in seeds that were planted at a young age, you know? Um, and I think that that's so important. And then on the music side of it, especially as somebody who's in a full-time music career now, um, just kind of what I said earlier about uh, your character is the most important thing. Mm. Um, and then competency falls under that. Uh, you being able to be a good person um, with a great attitude, a great work work ethic um, is something that can't be taught, right? That's not something that, yeah. um, that's not a skill that you can spend 40 hours a week in a practice room developing. Uh, it's something that happens over time uh, with intentionality and intentional small steps. Uh, your skill is something that you can grow and you can be the best drummer in the world. You can be the best vocalist or music teacher or whatever that looks mm -hmm. like. Uh, but if you're not a great person, uh, there isn't much space for you to have um, as much impact as you could. And so I, I value character very highly over competency. But with that being said, competency isn't something that just goes out of the window. Um, yeah. You can be a great person, but if you're not skilled, if you're, if you haven't put in the work to practice and, and, uh, on a practical level, be a better musician, um, you're just as ineffective. And so I think that um, just being intentional, like I said, your your gifting is what opens the doors, what gets you in the room, but your character uh, and your approach to uh, relationship and um, dealing with people is what keeps you there. And so- that's about all I got. <laughs> I love that. No, when you were saying planting seeds, I that's something I've said before too, because it's so hard to not see the fruit. But if you think about how long a tree takes to grow, 
the seed is just the first step. You have to water it and water it and water it. And then eventually you have to just trust the process. Teachers do. You got to just trust that like those seeds you planted will one day take fruit if you did your job. Now, of course, there may be some bad apples come along the way, like in middle (laughs) of high school after these kids leave elementary school and that's out of your control. But you have to just trust the process that these kids, you're, you, you never know what you, you know, like you, you never know what you're going to end up doing with your career. And so that's awesome. I feel like I had one more thing to ask you. And of course, now I can't remember. It was something you said. Um, and of course, I can't remember. So <laughs> just going to move on. Um, well, Ralph, I thank you so much for coming on. I have loved this conversation and connecting with former students is my jam. And I am just so thrilled to see that you are doing music with your life. And it's so, so, so cool and rewarding for me to see you're all grown up now and <laughs> see you pursuing music. Something I like love that. it. <laughs> You're like, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it's debatable. Yeah, right. No, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been really great. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening in to the Elementary Music Teacher Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, I would love for you to review the show and leave a rating on iTunes. To find out more about how I can help you gain momentum in your elementary music teaching career, head to thedomesticmusician.com where you'll find free downloads, courses, the blog, and so much more. Continue teaching music and never doubt the impact you're making each and every day in the lives of your students.